Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Kevin here again with the Midnight Terrors podcast. Uh, we are back. Sorry that there was a short break last week. Uh, the travel schedule for myself and my guest today going to Haunted Screams Expo in Virginia was just crazy um, and just didn't have time to record an episode and, and have it ready to go. Uh, so we took a, a brief uh, hiatus, not even really hiatus. We took a little break and uh, just took the week off, but we're back today with another episode. And this is my <clears throat> this is my first returning guest. You met her last time on our previous episode on Haunting a Bly Manor. My mom is back. Kat. Hey, thanks for having me back. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Have you bounced back from our our adventure to Haunted Screams? Because I feel like I'm still feeling the effects. No, not really. It was an action-packed weekend, and we kept moving pretty fast. And so many people to meet and interact with and things to remember and new experiences that uh, I felt it this week for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But it was 110% worth it. We met... Oh yeah, we met so many of the of the celebrity guests. Talked to a lot of vendors, made some new friends, and ten out of ten absolutely would recommend Haunted Screams Expo. Eleven out of ten actually. Um, gracious host with Latrum Soul up there. Uh, we had a blast, and our experience at Haunted Screams Expo actually kind of ties into the movie that we're discussing today. It does. We met someone who was a big part of the movie and rather unexpected. So I saw Cujo when it first came out, but I did not. No epic buildup. You're just gonna. You're just gonna drop. Yeah, drop the movie title. So sorry. Well, I'm excited. I I can tell. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So (laughs) spoiler spot podcast spoiler too. Hey, why don't you tell them what we're gonna talk about today? I, I, I feel like it loses something, but I guess I'll do it anyway. So, yeah, no, it's fine. So, we're talking about the movie Cujo from 1983. And so, as we said, we met a lot of guests at Haunted Screams Expo. One of them was a man named Gary Morgan. And funny enough, he is the father of actress and stuntwoman Bonnie Morgan, who you all would know from The Ring 2 rings the devil inside she's a contortionist and their family are circus performers and so you know her as samara morgan from the ring or the ring two and rings but her father gary is also a stuntman and he was now i saw when i watched the movie yesterday a list of credits for the stunt performers that it looks like there were Several of them, but Gary was in the suit for Cujo. He played the dog. So when we met Bonnie, it was pretty funny. You know, you talked to her and took the pictures, and she said, Hey, have you met my dad? My dad's Cujo. And I'm (laughs) not, I having no clue because if you have seen Cujo, you, you know, it's all dog. It never occurs to you that there's a human involved, and that's that was part of the genius of the movie that the dog was front and center. And then, you know, now I'm finding out that it wasn't always a dog, but she said, kept telling people, Hey, my dad's Cujo. 
And she said she used to tell people that at school, you know, when she made new friends. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I, you know, my dad could be a jerk sometimes, but I never referred to him as a <laughs> rabid dog. And yeah. then you turn around and there is this sweetest, most vivacious, bubbly person that is her dad and just friendly and they're back and forth and they have a wonderful relationship. And I'm like, this, this man cannot possibly be Cujo, but he was that and so much more when you start talking to him. Yeah. Gary was awesome. He was, um, someone we finally got to talk to and meet and take a picture with on the second day of haunted screams. Um, we met Bonnie the first day and she was telling us about him. So we went over and we spoke to him and yeah, he was one of the nicest guys that, that we've ever met. And we talked to him for a good, like 20 minutes just about his work on the movie Cujo. Um, and you know, I, so funny thing, I had actually never seen Cujo before we were going to do this podcast episode. We were kind of, so this is kind of my mom's pick. We were looking for a movie to watch, um, and discuss, and we thought it'd be fun to tie it back to someone that we met with Haunted Screams. And so I had never seen Cujo. So yesterday afternoon, before we're recording this, I actually watched it. And I got to say, the it is very seamless um, where there's a stuntman and where there's a dog performer. Because all I see is a, is a real dog on, on screen. It's edited and filmed so perfectly with the stunts that I, if you had never, if someone hadn't told me that there was a stuntman behind the dog, I would just think it was a dog that was trained. Well, I think Gary knows that because the picture that I have of him shows him leaping through the air and Gary's five, five. We're not talking a small person here, but Cujo was so big, and that was part of what made him so menacing. He's a St. Bernard, of course. And side note, Gary has a St. Bernard with snarling teeth, a stuffed St. Bernard sitting on his (laughs) table at all times, which is pretty funny. Yes, I love that. You know, St. Bernard stuffies are usually like these sweet, cuddly things. No, his is the rabid St. Bernard sitting there. But the picture I have of him, he's leaping through the air, and attacking somebody so a grown man attacking him from the head down and landing on top of him and he said i can prove it's me see there's my tennis shoes so you can see his sticking out of the feet of his costume is his tennis shoes and like i said gary's taller than i am yeah so uh... that gives you an idea of how big if you've never seen it and i hope you have how big the dog was in this movie. And then of course, St. Bernard's are not known for being menacing dogs. Although after this movie came out, there were a lot of people that were, especially if they already had a tendency to be afraid of dogs, they were afraid of St. Bernard's, but St. Bernard's typically do not behave this way. Yeah. And so Always a heads up, um, spoiler alert for Cujo, because we are going to dive into the film. Uh, If you have not seen it, do not listen to this if you don't want it spoiled for you. Um, And we're just going to, we're going to dive on in. But yeah, it was a, it was a huge honor to meet Gary. He was incredibly nice, great man, super, super talented. 
Again, he's also in... a Disney villain. Don't forget that. That's right. He was the villain for uh, the original Pete's Dragon from the 70s. <clears throat> yep. And uh, he's also very, very funny with the stuff that he says, because towards the end of our experience talking to him at his table, he starts talking to me and my mom about how, you know, what he thinks of some of these cons. And he was talking about like haunted screams or something being like dirty and gross. And we were just like, where is he going with this? It was all a set. It was all a setup for a joke. He didn't actually mean that because the joke was, he's like, yeah, I was so dirty. You know, I got poo on my finger and we just stared at him and he brings his hand out from under the table and he's got a Winnie the Pooh finger puppet on his finger. That is so my, my type of humor. I think I laughed for like 15 minutes straight. I was was in tears laughing at. He sold it too. Yeah. It was the perfect. It was the perfect, perfect setup. Uh, Yeah. I was dying laughing. So Gary was awesome as was everybody that we met at Haunted Screams Expo. Definitely want to return next year to that con. And if any of you listening had never heard of it, or have never heard of it and are looking for cons to go to, can't say enough good things about it. So well organized and such a good feeling. Everybody there was happy and friendly and willing to interact. And I'm not just talking about the celebrities. I'm talking about the attendees. I actually was using a crutch and a chair to get around. And people were really caring, you know, moving, you know, offering to hold stuff, moving so that I'd have a seat. So just... An overall great feeling. But I did want to say that his sense of humor and his relationship with his daughter, Bonnie, are so, so amazing that he even heckled his own daughter during her Q&A, which just absolutely (laughs) cracked me up. He was standing in the back looking so proud, and then he literally heckled her, and she would be cracking up on stage. And, of course, the next day she returned the favor in spades. Yeah. So it was it was great meeting both of them, and I'm just really excited to have rediscovered this movie. Yeah, very very down to earth people, very good looking family, very talented family. So definitely a huge honor to have met them. And I do want to say before we do a deep dive into Cujo, there is one thing, one other thing from Haunted Screams Expo that I really want to give a specific shout out to. In our experience there, we met a band that is from Virginia who are outstanding. They are called Mr. Fang and the Dark Tones. And it is like psycho psychedelic punk rock meets like Elvis is the best way that I can describe it. But they cover a lot of genres they have the whole awesome awesome horror aesthetic very talented dudes super nice guys they put on a set while we were there and i haven't stopped listening to their music since so i know we're getting close to halloween here if you guys are looking for some good music for halloween or any part of the year go check out mr fang and the dark tones on any social media on spotify all the streaming stuff can't say enough good things about them yeah, I like them. I'm a fan. And their aesthetic aesthetic is just amazing. Just different. Really different. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Uh, I know they follow our uh, Instagram page. Uh, so, Mr. Fang and the Dark Tones, if you guys are listening, awesome meeting you guys again. We love you, love your music, and we're behind you guys all the way. Big fans come over to here. Charleston. Yes, please come to Charleston, South Carolina. Big fans down here. So, all right. Well, uh, I guess, shall we do a deep dive into Cujo? We shall. All right. So, so obviously, I'm sure most people listening know, but if you don't, it is the story of a rabid dog, Rabid St. Bernard, who is bit by a bat and contracts rabies. And it stars D. Wallace. And, you know, the interesting thing... This movie actually caught me off guard with what I thought it was going to be like, because the first half of the movie doesn't really have much to do with Cujo. You see him in the opening scenes get bit by the bat, and then from there, we kind of spend some time meeting Dee Wallace and her family. Which is important to the plot, because this is not a perfect family. She's not, like the rest of us, she's not a perfect mom. She's human. She makes mistakes. She doesn't always react the way you're supposed to react with your husband and your children. So it's really important to the story that you get a feel for this family and what's going on. And when Cujo gets bit, you know, you see him chasing a rabbit. And this is really a a dog just having a great day. And then he goes down the rabbit hole, literally, which is where he gets bit by bats and the yelp and the pain as a dog lover. I was like, Oh no, all that poor puppy. Yeah. That was hard to, hard to watch. Yeah. So I, one of the, one of the reasons that the movie hits so hard, especially if you are a dog lover is that once again, you have a villain, a very clear cut bad entity in this movie that you're supposed to root against, but it's a dog and he has rabies and he's suffering and he's in pain and he's out of his mind. So you're conflicted, but anyway, yeah, it's tough. Starts out, he's chasing a rabbit and you know, you find out um, that the mom is actually having an affair Mm-hmm. And trying to, you know, repair things with her husband because with the her local, knows. the local stud. Well, the thing is, he actually doesn't know for a while. And, you know, as you're pointing it out, the thing I noticed is that there's actually kind of a big redemption arc for D. Wallace's character here. Yes. When yes. we meet her, she's in the midst of the affair, having no shame, not really thinking about it. And then we see scenes with her and her son and her husband. And you kind of see her start to realize that what she's doing is wrong and that she really cares for her family. Um, Because her husband's a businessman. He travels and is actually getting ready to go on a trip um, as the movie gets started because there's been a a scare with the cereal that he works for, the cereal company that he works for, because there's like a scare with, uh, what is it, like they get, they're bleeding or something? Yeah, it's actually dangerous to kids, which kind of cracked me up, is, you know, Captain Crunch, if you've ever eaten it dry... Mm-hmm. You can really cut up your mouth. So there's that. So he's an executive trying to make money off of something that's actually a harmful project, a product. And she says to him, you know, I'm going to work on things with you yeah. as he leaves to go on this trip. So you're like, oh, okay. So there's hope. But then as you progress through the movie, you're like, oh, you know, they may, 
they're not going to get a chance to patch this up. So then you've got like the tragic aspect coming in. Yeah, but she does try to end the affair with uh, Steve, the town stud, who doesn't handle it too well. Um, nope. But he kind of drops out of the drops out of the plot. She does finally like you know tell him to go away, but that's right when the husband finds out. And the last thing we we see of Steve is that he trashes their house um, with a knife. Yeah, and this and this up. is and this is while. Um, D. Wallace and her son are up in the car trying to survive Cujo's attacks, but this guy doesn't know that they're not there, so he trashes their house, and that's kind of the end of that. But you know, as as D. Wallace is going through this event with her son, so she has a car that has a lot of issues because the husband took the good one for the trip, and they go up to their neighbor's house which is basically like a it's their home but it's like an auto shop at the same time and it's that family that so i thought that cujo was d wallace's dog going into the movie i didn't realize it was the neighbor's dog it was actually the dog of the guy that was repairing the cars yeah and he has a little boy and a wife and oh boy what a mess that family was uh, There's a lot of messy families. There's definite, they're humans throughout yeah. this whole movie. Well, this this guy, you know, you look at, um, I think his name is Vic, uh, D. Wallace's husband in the in the movie. He is like a really good dad, great husband, hard worker, like the epitome of a good family man. And on the flip side, the the father of the household who owns Cujo um, is like a you know, a, a mechanic, but he's like a kind of abusive and angry, actually threatens his wife about stupid things and is mean to the son and all that stuff. <clears throat> and, you know, they have a lot of family dysfunction going on too, but Cujo's their dog. And um, our main characters go up there to get their car looked at and the car breaks down literally as soon as they pull in to where they need to be. Uh, but so it's an interesting fact, though, Kevin, because <clears throat> Stephen King got the idea for the book Cujo because he went to get his car repaired. And the owner there had a very large dog. Hmm. So that's how Cujo came into being. And also, on a side note, our family actually owned a Pinto in the late 70s, I think it was. So hmm. having this dog in the movie with this car where so much of the action takes place. I was like, <laughs> I'm never getting in a Pinto again. I'm sorry. I'm done. Yeah. And, uh, I do understand that, uh, this book Cujo is a book that Stephen King has no memory of writing. Nope. Because he was drunk or just completely stoned out of his mind. Uh, this was epitome of, of King dealing with uh, alcoholism and, and drugs and stuff like that. So I can only imagine what that would be like, though. The fact that even in that state, he just wrote this book is just kind of insane. And I'm sure it was edited once he, you know, found it and, and wrote it or and was getting ready to publish it. But that's that's crazy to me that he wrote this just completely blitzed out of his mind. 
it may be why he was able to write it because all all the blo- all the writing blocks were definitely gone, and he could just go to this extra place. However, he has said that the movie is one of his favorite adaptations, and that D. Wallace Stone was his favorite female character. Yeah, I... even even over Kathy Bates. And yeah, and I was going to say Misery, as you know, but he loved this one. Yeah, and I was going to say Misery is another another adaptation that he loves um, of his books. And, you know, as I understand it, this adaptation is very, very faithful to the book, except for one thing, which we'll get to as we get to the ending of the film. But Dee Wallace and her son, Tad, um, I keep forgetting what her character's name is, so I just keep saying Dee Wallace. Um so I apologize. Donna. Her name Donna, is Donna, that's right. Donna and Tad. And so they go up to the shop, their neighbor's house, and Cujo is hanging out there. That's his home. But and but in the time that we're meeting them, Cujo has become rabid. The effects on the dog are so gross. Uh, you know, he's bleeding from the from the face and has goo just dripping down. They show the deterioration and the disease progressing. Yeah, and uh, it's really gross, but also heartbreaking at the same time, because even when Cujo is rabid, he's just got those kind eyes. And I am also a dog lover, um, as I'm staring over to the corner of the room, and uh, our dog is, you know, just uh, just chilling, enjoying a Sunday morning. He is not rabid. No, he is the farthest thing from a Cujo. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so in the meantime, while we're meeting these main characters, Cujo has killed um, one of the other neighbors in the town. And he has also killed uh, the head of the household of his owners. So... We've seen a couple deaths by Cujo, and Cujo has, you know, been hanging around the house. And they go to find uh, Donna and Tad go to find the repair people, and that's when Cujo finally attacks. And for the rest of the movie, so that's about the first half of the movie is us meeting the family, and the final like forty-five minutes is just them trying to survive Cujo in the car in a broken down car in the heat in the summer they're getting dehydrated yeah this movie is very very stressful this is a horrible situation to be in it's a mom and her son trapped by a rabid dog and like you can't get out because as soon as she steps foot out anytime she tries to do that Cujo is waiting The the father, Vic, actually figures out that his wife is missing, that she hasn't run off with her lover, and he does call the police. So you have, you get your hopes up because the sheriff does come out, and Cujo gets the sheriff. Yeah, that amounts so to nothing. Help, <laughs> help was right there, and so you've kind of, now you're on this roller coaster, and you know that the child is you know, getting delirious. He, Tad is not going to make it with the heat and the dehydration if mom doesn't fight this rabid dog. Yeah, and, and we've, we've got a few battle scenes between Donna and Cujo before the final 
showdown and at you know several points Cujo like starts to break the glass and yeah. Cujo actually gets in the car at one point and bites her and I wondered you know she like faints after she gets bitten and I wondered if she had just died because I'd never seen this and I've never read the book so I didn't know where this was gonna go and I'm like did she just die from from the attack or something but I think it turns out well, she does survive, but they also kind of tie it into like her husband Vic has something of a nightmare, and then he's like, "I need to go back home." Like my wife hasn't answered in two days. Yeah, he gets the feeling that something's wrong. But speaking of that scene where the dog literally jumps through the glass to get to the car, I'm not a fan of jump scares, and I think I've said this on here before that was the ultimate jump scare. Like even Stephen King said that that was the best sudden scare in a movie that he's ever experienced. And it, that's what that movie is famous for where the dogs really laying low. And then all of a sudden, bam, he comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And, on his, and in reality, that was Gary Morgan in that scene. Yeah. And probably the most intense scene of the movie is I think is what follows where Cujo starts to ram the side of the car. Yes. And it's um, a Pinto and it's yeah. rocking and it's dense. I got it. Yeah. But anytime that the, the glass breaks, like he almost completely shatters a window. Yep. And I'm like, well, what are you supposed to do after that? And so, yeah, they, it's pointed out that they're running low on water. I mean, I didn't pick up on this when I watched the movie. I knew that at least one day had passed. I didn't realize they were stuck in the car for two days. Two days without water in the heat. And you can, the, the actors, um, Danny uh, Pintoro, and I'm hoping that I'm Pintaro, I hope I've said it right. Something like that. He was yeah. actually the, he was actually the little kid on who's the boss, by the way. I and heard I about, believe, I heard about that. Yeah. I believe he's only like seven years old during the filming. I don't even think he was 10 years old when this was filmed. And D Wallace stone and Danny, they don't look good in this movie. They are they are pale. They are uh, the the makeup artist really made them look like they're dehydrated and they're not going to make it. And yeah, these are child, these are some great practical effects in this movie. This was a wonderful example of a child actor. This kid gets hysterical. Oh, I felt so bad. Very, I felt so sick. bad for this kid. So his dad had told him in the opening scenes, monsters aren't real. And uh, Tad says, what about the ones in my closet? The ones in my closet are real. So he has a very real fear of monsters. And now you have him in the car with this dog attacking and he's screaming, how did the monster get out of my closet? How did the monster get out of my closet? So there's some foreshadowing that's so subtle. You don't even catch it. At least I didn't. But this kid is hysterical. Yeah, no, it's a very tight uh, script. Uh, a lot of things are set up in the beginning and they, they wrap up as the as the film wraps up. There was one thing at the beginning of the movie that kind of left me scratching my head. And I think it's explored a little more in the book. But there's a point where we first meet Danny and or Tad and... He is laying in bed, and we can all relate to this, right? He gets up to turn the light off, and he wants to make sure he can run to the bed once the light goes off. It's like when we run up the stairs after we turn off the last light. And uh, 
he is laying in bed and his closet door just randomly opens and he screams because he sees something in there. We don't ever see what he saw. No, but that was his thing with the monsters in the closet. And if we're being honest as little kids, we had monsters. They were either under the bed or in the closet. Mine were always in the closet. Where were yours? Uh, <laughs> you know, when I was little, little, I wasn't really scared of monsters. It wasn't until I saw that original It movie from the 90s with Tim Curry. And that was when I was 11. Uh, after that, the monsters were in the shower drains, in the, in the sink drains, in the sewers and stuff like that. So, Yep, walking the dog. I still don't go by the, the drainage area. I always move away from that, which is, I know I'm being ridiculous, but I don't really care. No, but, but other, had... than, other than that, probably just the darkness in general. I never liked being, it was like the meanest thing you could do to someone, uh, still to this day, but, but definitely as kids is like, walk ahead of them and turn off a light and then like close the door wherever they are. Right. Well, that's so, what you do to your sibling. I yeah, mean, but as a kid, like a as a kid, as a young kid, probably just the darkness in general. I didn't like being in a room with the lights off. Well, I actually went to bed one night. I was probably about seven years old and I left the closet open and then I had like something was on a hanger or hanging off the shelf. And so when I looked over at the closet, it literally something was swaying and moving. It literally looked like there was something in my closet. I lost it. I absolutely screaming, woke the whole house up. My mom came running in. It ended up being like a pillow on my top shelf or Always something. Always something so, practical. Yeah. So, and I really, but I really identified with Tad mm -hmm. on that and the monsters in his closet. And then also years later. So in 1983, when it came out, I saw it in the theater, which, you know, it adds something. You've got this huge rabid dog. And then... She had just, E.T. had come out the year before. So kind of the drawing point was we were all going to the theaters to see the mom from E.T. She's kind of, un, she doesn't look crazy different or anything, but she's kind of unrecognizable from E.T. Because I was just watching clips of E.T. this morning yeah. when I was looking up. I'm like, because I talked to you about this yesterday, asking if E.T. came first. Yeah, it was only one year prior, yeah, but she's right. ve a very different character here. Well, that's her acting chops. But she's also playing two very different moms. So years later, I'm looking at this now from a mom perspective, whereas I had just graduated college when it came out the first time. I wasn't thinking like that. But yeah. now I see it as a mom. So in E.T., she was this struggling single mom. She was kind of their buddy a lot in that movie. But this mom, she's messy. Yeah, she's unhappy in her marriage. She's having an affair. She's trying to fix her mistakes. There's that. But then when she's in the car and Tad is freaking out, as us moms sometimes do, she lost it on her kid. Yep. And she screamed at him because she was in a fight or flight mode herself. And a lot of the parents at the time really identified with that performance because 
we don't always react the way we're supposed to. And frankly, sometimes your kids can be annoying. You're trying to concentrate. They're freaking out. We just don't react in a very motherly or fatherly way. And we've all, let's be honest, we've all snapped at our kids when we shouldn't have. We've all, me, we've all I've snapped been the, it. I've been the perfect mom. So, you know, I haven't done that. But I really appreciate the way that she portrayed a mom. And then, of course, she was willing to sacrifice her life to save her son, which is also a very realistic portrayal. Yeah. And I was going to say, we've all snapped at friends and family, too, when we're just having a bad day. So, and there is... You didn't say anything about me being the perfect mom. There was dead silence there. Just going to point that out. Yeah, I was trying to uh, find out what response I could do that wouldn't make me sound like a a jerky kid, so I just left it alone. You're too old for me to ground. You're good. True. But uh, anyway, uh, there was one point that I actually, and I think it's kind of her wake-up moment for real in the in the movie, and it's when one of Cujo's last attacks before the final battle, uh, Tad is freaking out and is crying to her and saying, I want my daddy, I want my daddy. And she goes, okay, I'll get you to daddy. But I actually kind of felt bad for her because that was, I guess, her moment where she realizes, like, I'm not being a good parent. And... This kid is solely thinking of the dad as the safe one. I need to make some serious changes here. Yeah, he didn't. His mom hadn't been fully focused on him. And his his dad was the one he wanted in a time of crisis. And that hit her hard. And it's right after that that the final battle ensues between her and Cujo. And she realizes that her son is dying of dehydration and is going into like shock, basically. Um, there was a brief moment because of the way his face looked. I honestly thought he got possessed somehow, and I was very confused. But it's because he's got his hands like close to his throat and his eyes are rolled back. Uh, but it's it's him kind of going into, into shock. So finally, <clears throat> she calms him down and she realizes like it's now or never. So she has eyeballed a baseball bat and she gets out of the car and is chased down by Cujo, but does get a hold of the baseball bat, which ends up breaking after she's fought Cujo with it for a while. And Cujo jumps on her, and she stabs him with the baseball bat. And you think that's the end, and she brings her son inside the house to give him water. Now, I said earlier that this movie's very faithful to the book, Safer, one big thing. You're aware of what that is, I'm assuming, right? Oh yeah. In the she, the way her she son, her son dies in the book. Yes. So she never truly recovers from this tragedy. There is no happy ending of any sort. Although in this movie, you know, with the dog, they're really not a happy ending. Yeah. But in the book, it's very, very tragic. Also. Well, she I read the I read the in the book. Yeah, and but she does get treated for that, and I did read that their marriage survives. So they learn from it, but it's all about the families in in the town that we've been focusing on, kind of trying to move on. But this is Hollywood, so the ending was different. 
Oh, it had to be. This movie would not be nearly as popular if uh, if the kid had died at the very end. Uh, look not, at not in the eighties. Absolutely not. Well, even in the two thousands, look at a movie that I had you watch not too long ago, The Mist. Yeah, I like I like happy endings. I like to feel that everything was you know wrapped up and has a bow on it. Oh, the mist. The mist was wrapped up, but not in the way that you would expect. I'm no, not. I'm not going to spoil no. the mist. But I hated that ending when I was younger. But I kind of love it now because I think it's genius. But, but anyway. So in the movie, once again, we're lulled into just like when the police came. You know, the cavalry is here. Everything's going to be okay. And you actually like ungrip from your the armrest because we were we saw it in a theater. And you relax. Yeah, so Tad Tad is resuscitated. water on him. He's coming around. And guess what? Much like, you know, Michael Myers. And Cujo, Cujo, bursts, ain't dead. Cujo bursts through the window. Yep. And, uh, yeah. You wonder what's happening next, but she has managed to pick up the handgun from the cop that was killed. And she does finally end Cujo in that way. I'm glad they didn't show that because, again, because it's a dog, you're kind of torn on it. And it's not the dog's fault. The dog was a was a good boy. Uh, but, you know, yeah. rabies is, is what it does. Um, but Cujo, Cujo is put down and her husband arrives at the house and the family is reunited as we wrap up the film. Now, dogs that get rabies at the... For them to act like this is very, very rare, though. This oh, yeah. aggressive rabies is not the angry rabies. That I mean, it could happen. It's within the realm of possibility. But it's Stephen, it's Stephen King. King it has to go yeah. to the Worst extreme. scenario. And then also, speaking of a town, you know, this was set, the first movie that was set in Castle Rock. Yep, which a very common town for, for uh, yep. Stephen King's work. Right, so, but this was the first one that was set in Castle Rock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I get it's a little bit polarizing, I guess. Some people don't like that we spend time meeting the family. Um, I personally enjoyed that because if it was just a random mom and a kid that I never met, and then they were in this bad situation, I don't think it would affect me as much, so... I, I agree. I like to, and, and I've said this before, I like to get invested in the characters. I like to get to know them. Yeah. And so, yeah, this movie was, this movie's quick too. It's only like an hour and a half and it goes by mm-hmm. so fast, but very, very enjoyable. I feel for Cujo though, because I love dogs, but. Right. Uh, um, broke my heart. <clears throat> but can we talk about why they used a human for some of these scenes? Because I, I got a chuckle when I got the history on it. The, sure. The dogs, they're St. Bernard's. And there were I think there were six of them. I could be wrong. Something like that. They, they had to tie their tails down. Because the <laughs> dogs their tails were, were wagging, wagging during the aggressive scenes. with people, yes. And apparently there is one that came loose. And he's wagging his tail. And then also to get the dogs to attack the car they put toys their favorite toys in the car and told them to go get them so they're actually not attacking in anger and rage they're attacking with enthusiasm 
But one of the stunt doubles for the character Donna rolled down the window and then lowered the toy and the dog accidentally bit the stunt woman's nose. Oh, well, because of that, um, which was just a miscue. But then the rumor ran around that the stunt woman had actually contracted AIDS on the set of Cujo, which, you know, just sort of hyped everything up. Oh, but the dogs were not able to attack people. So that's where Gary came in. So again, when he's flying, if you see a scene where they're flying and they're knocking a grown man down, that's Gary. The one where he, that the ultimate scene where he just charges into the car, that's Gary because the animals weren't able to do that. Although Gary told us a story about how the trainer said, Remember, he dressed up and he's like, he's not going to attack me because he's not going to recognize it's me. And then they had to pull the dog off him. Oh, yeah, because they got the dog. They got the dog amped up to do it. And then it was supposed to be like, oh, no, no, it's just test, just test. And then they let the dog go. Right. And the dog was full blown going at it. Yeah. And. However, however, I did hear uh, disclaimer. I did read and hear. No dogs ever hurt on the set of this movie. No, absolutely. And so that brings me to my next point. The dog really looks gross. He's he's pus-filled and he's bleeding. And this beautiful dog, happy dog, is just miserable and oozing is the only word I can think of. Well, they used egg whites and sugar and made them red to do all of this, right? Yeah. And the silly dogs kept licking it off. They liked it. Well. So they'd have to stop filming and reapply because, you know, the dog's got this big, long tongue. That kind of gave me a chuckle. Like, no other actor licks off their makeup for a movie. We don't know that. We don't. We don't. (laughs) Uh, But the the dogs did, all of them. And so it really delayed filming. And that just gave me a chuckle. Yeah, the other interesting thing too was when uh, when Gary went to audition to be Cujo, they his audition was that he actually had to be like trained and conditioned and spoke to like a dog. Yep, they so, told like, him to sit. The, the person running the audition would like give him commands, and he had to do it in the in the vein of a dog. And He's not. He's not really a stuntman. He's an actor. He just happens to be an animal actor. He's done bears and stuff too. And he has the talent to act like an animal rather than a character. I imagine that this head that he was wearing for Cujo had to be massive. Yeah, it couldn't have been comfortable. Uh, the, the dog suit, though, was so, so realistic that when you see a picture of him and he's a good looking guy and he's in the furry suit and he's holding this massive head, the dog, the St. Bernard head next to him. There were literally people out there asking and in very indignant because they thought the dog suit was made out of real dog skin and fur. Oh my goodness. So that, that went around too. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? People just uh, don't get it, but, Anyway, hey, you know, uh, go ahead. Do you know who turned down directing this movie? I did hear something about this, and now I don't remember who it was. Oh, take a guess. He's one of your favorites. 
John Carpenter turned down directing this movie because he didn't think it was anything. Oh, I didn't hear that one. Yep. He turned it down. Yeah, Wonder, I don't I don't know if Who would have uh, had a much different movie? Yeah, I don't know if it w- if the movie would be what it. I love John Carpenter, but I don't think it would be the movie that it is if John Carpenter directed it. It would have had a very very different feel to it. So But I am immensely satisfied with the movie that we did get. Really enjoyed watching it. I will definitely watch it again. And uh, good job, Mom. This was kind of your pick. So congratulations. Thank you. I think think it held up well. And it is um, people have have called it one of the most disturbing movies ever. And I think that still holds up. And there were people that were... Uh, you know, like after Alfred Hitchcock's movie Psycho, like my mom's generation, my mom in particular, she had a thing like she was petrified of birds. And for a long time, people in that generation would not take a shower. And that was because of the genius of Hitchcock's movie. That had to have been there, gross. Uh, well, yeah, probably. But, you know, you. Every time they had the shower curtain closed, you know, my mom said she'd peek out real quick. It was pretty funny to hear her tell it. (laughs) But because of this movie, I think there were a lot of people that looked at dogs a bit differently, even though this was the most improbable thing ever. But again, no dogs were harmed in the making of this film. Nobody actually got rabies. It was all it was all Hollywood. But I think the movie has held up over time. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this was fun. Uh, We'll go ahead and wrap it up before my uh, recorder device batteries die. But uh, yeah. So thank you, Mom, for being back on to discuss Cujo. I hope you guys had fun and uh, good to be back. We're going to be back to weekly episodes on Midnight Terrors. And uh Mom, you're going to be returning for next week's episode, actually, to guest on the show because a little film that we may be just a little bit excited about drops on Tuesday following this Sunday that this episode is coming out. We're going to talk about. <laughs> we are going to be talking about the new Monsters movie. I know the count. I As met do him. I. He's a friend. As do I, and we, so we met Daniel Roebuck, the Count, uh, from the new Monsters movie. We also met Butch Patrick, up at Haunted Screams, the original Eddie Eddie Monster, Monster, but also uh, Tin Can Man from the new one. So, I'm giving you guys a fair heads up. Do not listen to next week's episode if you have not seen it, because we are watching it opening night, well, premiere night on Netflix And we will drop the episode on Sunday. So if you do not want spoilers, don't listen to the episode. But we're going to do a deep dive because we've been waiting for this movie. So that's next week's episode. So you got plenty of notice to watch it. But so, Mom, you'll be back on next week for the Monsters. And don't forget, you said you'd buy dinner. I did say that. Yep. But uh, yeah. So thank you guys for listening to this episode on Cujo. We'll be back next week for the Munsters 2022. And this has been the Midnight Terrors podcast. Follow us on social medias, Instagram, Facebook at Midnight Terrors podcast. I have an email account set up for this show. 
midnightterrorspodcast at gmail.com. Send me requests on what you'd like to hear me and my co-host discuss or talk about. And we'll be back next week. So thank you guys very much. Bye-bye. Later.